initially it was like, yes, it was this goal. And yes, I probably can do it, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I want to be there. I just don't know how I'm going to get there. You know, but suddenly I'd known what I had to do to get there. And in that moment, that is all that kept me going was I knew what exactly my plan was. Caitlin Rosecrans is on her way to Tokyo. She's one of the few gymnasts in the unique position of having qualified for the Olympics before the coronavirus lockdowns. She's had to overcome years of injuries, but she's always known where she'd end up. I'm Pam Jumdar, and you're listening to Better Late, the podcast about adult gymnastics. Not everyone who comes on this show started gymnastics as an adult or as an older kid. Caitlin Rosecrantz started gymnastics when she was young and progressed through the levels like many athletes do. But gymnastics is not very popular or well-funded in South Africa. She didn't grow up seeing gymnasts from her country competing at the Olympics, which is a common thread among many athletes who make it to the top of the sport. Just like many adult gymnast journeys, Caitlin's self-belief and resilience have kept her going. And with her Olympic spot locked, it turns out her vision was spot on. I hope you enjoy this episode. For me, getting into gymnastics never felt like work. I went from, you know, one day a week to maybe two days and built up. And by the time I was at about four or five days a week at a really young age, I think I was maybe around eight to nine, you know, and for me, I loved it. It was, it never felt like effort to have to go to training after grade one or grade two, or, you know, it, it was so much fun. I, it all felt like it came so much, so naturally to me. And before I knew it, I'd kind of really fallen in love with the sport and at had set out goals for myself and really felt like I had a lot of potential that I could see myself going really far. And then I got into competitive gymnastics and started setting big goals and progressed through the levels and then went to junior Olympic. And then I was in senior Olympic and I was traveling and starting to make really big national and international waves, if I can say it, if I can say it like that. And then had my eye on the Olympics and worked really hard for that and qualified. Yeah, that's so exciting. And, and congratulations. And it sounds like a, I've read a, a little bit about the number of injuries that you faced. So you have, are definitely a, an example of resilience in the sport, which I want to talk to you a little bit about later. If you could just describe the moment you realized you had qualified for Tokyo, what was, what, what was that like? And, and, and how does it feel to be the first black gymnast to represent South Africa in the Olympics? So if I can just give you a bit of backstory to my, the moment I qualified for the Olympics, because I think they, it will explain a lot of the emotion that went into that. So I qualified at the 2019 World Championships, which was, I think, beginning of October um, in 2019. And that was also my matric year. So it was my final year of school. And obviously now it was the year that I was going to try and qualify for the Olympics. And it was an extremely busy year. You know, I can't tell you in between writing um, exams and like our prelim exams and having to do all these assignments, obviously, for my last year of school. I was also traveling. You know, I think I traveled about five, six times in the year. Um, I, you know, I went to world championships and I came back in about like two weeks and then I wrote finals. And it was a really busy year. So in the middle of the year, we went to... I went to a training camp in Paris and I was supposed to have a training camp there and then from there go to Germany for another training camp with my coach and teammate. And on the, in, on the second day of our training in Paris, I injured my ankle very badly. I like tore ligaments and it was very unforeseen like every other injury is, but it was also at the absolute worst timing because it was exactly, I think, five weeks before our national championships 
back home and our national championships were supposed to be trials for our world championships and then world champs was was obviously going to be trials for the olympics so i ended up doing nothing for the rest of that for both of those camps i went home and then saw a doctor and they told they confirmed for me that well it was quite a bad injury but we were going to do everything we can to get me back of which um i ended up going for like blood salt platelet treatment and you know i was on a very fast and speedy recovery because i mean it was the year of my biggest goal and i luckily made it in time and that after the national champs i then went to the hungry challenge world cup where i ended up winning my first international medal and it was on bar and again very unforeseen for me never like really coming that close to placing on international stage it was a really big moment for me i you know hearing the, the national anthem on an international stage and standing there on the first podium was a very emotional moment for me which then 3 weeks later we ended up going to the world championships in stuttgart and in that competition so obviously i went in like recovered from my injuries but they were i mean still there but it was it was good and with on my very first apparatus which was beam So just before the competition our coach kind of told us that we need to know going into the competition that if we have any major mistakes so like a fall or any big mistakes we kind of need to know in the back of our heads that it's your chances for qualifying are going to be slim you know and you kind of just need to accept that type of thing so we you know went in knowing that and after my very first apparatus which was beam which has been my hardest app for me it's the one app apparatus I kind of struggle with I had a fall so I had a really big mistake I was the only one out of the South African girls actually fell and for a second I felt like I absolutely fell apart because like I said I knew what that fall had cost me you know and but also I knew that my strongest event which was bar which was still coming up so I kind of kept you know my hopes up and tried you know fighting till the very end and believe it or not I finished top out of the South, the South African girls and still ended up qualifying. So, but on that Friday, because we competed the Friday and because obviously world championships is such a big competition, it takes place over two days. So after the first day of comp, we more or less knew where I was standing, but there was obviously a whole other day of qualifications to go. So you would only know the absolute final results at the end of the Saturday. So the whole Saturday, my two coaches that went with us watched every single competition calculating where i was placed you know when i would go down and like it was an absolutely nail biting experience for all of us and at the end of that day we had a very good idea that it looked like i had qualified but we didn't want to get our hopes up and start celebrating without in black and white obviously so you know i did and that night she kind of sat us down and told us that it looked like I'd qualified but we were going to see and a week later I was home it was a sunday and that's when FIG released the list of you know all the qualifiers that had qualified at the world championships and there my name was you know and I absolutely burst into tears with my mom I was here alone at home with my mom and it was just a very i think emotional moment on you know in so many ways it i think thinking back it is such a reflective moment for me because in that moment all i can think is that you know everything was worth it or the years of injuries and having to come back 
countless times, not making teams, you know, all missing the Commonwealth Games two years before. You know, such all these tragedies and big injuries, it all had kind of felt worth it and it felt like it all came together in the end. So it was a really big moment for me. And knowing that I'll be the first Black gymnast to compete in the Olympic Games for gymnastics in South Africa is... I think just, I want to say a cherry on top of the cake. For me going, you know, chasing this goal and knowing where I wanted to be, that was never even in my frame of mind. You know, I never, for me, I just wanted to get to the Olympic Games and only afterwards to find out that, yes, I qualified, but I was going to be the first, you know, person of colour in gymnastics for South Africa to go represent my country at the Olympic Games. And knowing that I'm broken that barrier and opened doors for um, upcoming gymnasts and gymnasts of colour in my country is really good to know. And I'm really happy that I could have done that. Yeah, well, I I didn't know that you had to wait an entire week to find out. That's, <laughs> that sounds like, that sounds incredible to, to have to wait that long and to hear it. And I want to ask you about what your coach said. You mentioned that the, during competition, if you if you have a mistake, it really reduces your chances. Do you think that motivated you even more? Or do you, like when you, after you did have your fall, did that just make you really, really focused on making the most out of your, out of your best event? Because I think to a lot of gymnasts, that would have been a little devastating to hear from the coach, but maybe, I mean, obviously your coach knew, (laughs) knew what they were doing and it had a positive effect in your performance. Yeah, so yes, our coach had obviously told us before the competition that, you know, that if you have a major mistake, if you have a fall, you kind of need to know. But another thing that she had always not told, only told us, but always taught us in our career was that you it's not over until it's over. You know, that's always something she would repeat to us. And whether you fall in the middle of a routine, you know, and just before she lifts you back up into the bar or you get onto the beam she'll always talk to you and tell you that like it's not over until it's over don't give up in the middle you know you never know what is going to happen so going into the competition knowing that you know it there was a lot on the line and the pressure was high the stakes were high and knowing after I'd fallen that you know that that could have potentially cost me my Olympic qualification I came and I remember coming off from beam and you know I walked off the podium and I came to sit on the chair and I all I could think was bursting into tears you know I just wanted to cry I wanted to crawl up the ball and I wanted to go home I for a second you know I had a minute of absolute meltdown and my coach Ilza she had to go up on the podium with another one of our gymnasts because I was second and this other gymnast was last but our other coach Candice she was in the stands like they with us in the stands and she came to me and you know said to me that I need to pull myself together I still have an entire competition that I need to get through it's only the first event and she she was actually the one to tell me that you know I I have strong events left like bar and vault which are my strongest events which I can make the most out of so I need to kind of keep fighting you know till the very end so I can know in you know within myself that I did give it my all so in that you know I had an amazing floor routine an amazing vault and to the very end and had an amazing bar which you know made up that form on being so that I think was also a very good learning moment for me you know knowing that I could have gotten up and picked myself up after such you know a 
big blow in the middle of a competition that I could still get up and finish up strong. Yeah, well, I think that that lesson is is one that you've definitely proven great at over your career because you have overcome a lot of setbacks and it it possibly even has helped you with the maybe the delay of the Tokyo games. I'm I'm curious like what is the state of everything in South Africa right now with coronavirus and are you still locked down and how has the delay in the Tokyo Olympics just affected your training schedule and how much you're able to go to the gym? Yeah, so currently in South Africa we so we have five stages of lockdown like in so if I'm trying to explain it and we are currently in we were put back into level 3 at the end of last year. So it's I want to say it's moderate you know, restrictions in the sense that there are like restrictions, but in terms of me and my training, nothing is being affected, which I'm very grateful and happy for. But yeah, last year, I can definitely say 2020 was one of the hardest years I had to endure in my career. We were put into hard lockdown for about three and a half months to four months of which I wasn't, be, wasn't able to go to the gym at all. I had to do Um, I was at home doing, trying to do home training, like over call Zoom lessons with our coaches every day, fitness in my complex garden. You know, it was, it was really hard. Not only I think physically to maintain and keep our physical shape, but to stay in it mentally. It was really challenging. There were quite a few days where I felt like, you know, even. for someone like me who i had i know that i'm you know i'm going to the olympic games and i had an olympic qualification that was motivating me you know i still there were many days that i struggled i i told my coach when i came back that i absolutely i hated it i hated every minute of lockdown you know for me my for ever you know my house is my place of rest like it is with everyone i come home after training to come rest you know and it's where i recharge and and suddenly that changed and i had to shift my mindset and my home was my i had to become also my training gym and and my rest place and everything you know which was a really hard adjustment to make in the beginning you know you full of motivation and initially we thought it was our president actually said that it was going to be a three week lockdown before we knew what corona had in store for us so we went into it very motivated you know we were like oh it's three weeks we'll be you know we'll come back as motivated as ever and three weeks turned into a month which turned into two and then turned into three you know and along the way it just there was a part where you felt like you know was this ever going to end and it i think like i said trying to keep your mental health up was really hard but i'm also very fortunate and lucky and grateful that our coach did a lot of work with us mentally within the lockdown she got a psychologist to speak to us we had like a psychology session every week where we did not only making sure that we were in a good place mentally but making sure that we were training our mental for when we got back so that when you know that getting back after about four month break you know i mean it wasn't a complete break but not being in the gym was going to be one of the hardest things we had to do physically you know but not only physically mentally also so we did a lot of work with her throughout the lockdown which definitely i can say definitely helped because when we went back i think it was around july we you know our, our comeback 
was a lot quicker than we expected, not only getting back to the physical shape that we needed to, but also mentally, you know, getting back into the swing of working our routines and working towards goals again. It all, I want to say, fell in place quite well. Well, that's great. And I and you may, you brought up so many very spot on points for the impact of COVID and what you described of having to readjust your home as no longer just the resting place, but now the place where you do everything. How, like, how did you make that work when you were forced to do all your training and Zoom sessions at home? Did you find that you were, it was hard for you to stop thinking about gymnastics because now you were, you were in, you were using the home as a place where you were spending more time doing and thinking about gymnastics than you were previously? I think not actually, you know, if I can recall, once I kind of got into the hang of, you know, the fact that I had to, you know, I I couldn't no longer like separate gym and my house, but I almost separated part of my house, you know, so like, my room became more of my resting place. And I did all my workouts in my living room. So I'd like every day move the couches and then like sit. Cause we took, before we went into lockdown, we took, Ilza gave, Ilza is my coach. She gave uh, the top senior girls of like quite a lot of equipment. So we got like yoga mats and like parallel. So it's like floor bar work things and weights and everything like elastic bands that we would need to maintain our flexibility, our strength and our cardio, because that were the main things that we worked on. I mean, you can't really, gymnastics is a very apparatus specific sport. So we can't necessarily set up a bar at home and start training, you know, so we could only really work on those things. Um, and so I would like my living room was my workout space. And it's nice that I live in a double story house. So upstairs for me was like my resting area, you know, like when I do my psychology and recovery and all of that, I would be upstairs. And when I was training, I'd be downstairs in the living room or sometimes I'd have to go um, outside to like our jungle gym area when I needed to do like um, pull-ups and like hanging on the jungle gym thing. Oh, we had to be very creative. But yeah, it was... (sighs) I don't think, you know, I had a problem of like constantly thinking about gym. It was, I think if anything, which is a bit weird, but I was, it felt like more of the other way around where I was still in this mindset of like, I had to force myself to kind of like remember that, you know, we need to get back to the gym and not completely wind myself down and get completely out of it. You know, I had to always remind myself to, stay in the game and like you know you have to keep doing your visualizing and all that work that you don't completely lose it you know that when you come back it's this huge shock that you have to adjust your body and your mind to yeah so now that you are back like in the gym training what what does that look like for you like how many how many days a week are you training and how many hours per day are you training right now so when we initially got back, which was around July, we obviously had to do a very slow build up back into the gym. We couldn't just slap bang right into full training that was asking for like problems and injuries. So we started off, I think, with around three days, you know, in the week with 
light hours, about two to three hours, you know, of mainly strength. And we built that up. And already by, I think it was around August, September, we were back to full training, which was about, which is six days a week. And it's like f- about four hours a day, which isn't isn't where we currently like initially were before lockdown, but even still till now, that's what we act more or less. We act six days a week, um, four hours a day, and some we get about one Saturday off in a month. Um, whereas initially before lockdown, our normal training times were six days a week, about four and a half hours a day, and two out of the six days we were we were on five hours. So we were doing quite a lot of training, and we were doing about three out of the six days, we were doing double sessions. So you train in the morning, you have a break and then you train in the afternoon. So we're not back to that yet, but we, we all get there. We're building up slowly. So what are, what are some of the skills and goals that you're working on for Tokyo? I'm curious if anything has changed because of kind of the extra time before Tokyo comes around, if you apparatus wise or skill wise has changed and what you, what you are aiming for during those games. Yeah, so that is definitely one of the biggest things I'm grateful for was the extra time. I can think everyone was happy to have basically an extra year to prepare for the Olympic Games. The first thing we tried to do was obviously get back after lockdown was get back my full strength and get back all the skills and the routines that I had and would have competed for Tokyo 2020. But once we got that, we then started trying to see where we can add in a bit, maybe one or two skills, more difficulty. I mean, it's a year, which it's a long time, but actually it's really not, you know, months go by really quickly. And you also have to be smart in the way you add things, you know, with, we compete, we have the success rate of competing, you know, the routines that we do because we've competed them so many times and it, you know, yes, you can do a lot of numbers, but it, you also need experience with, the routines that you do and that's why you know you we could do clean routines over and over at competitions so we need we needed to kind of be very logistic around what new skills we were going to add in and not too many you know and if if it's maybe a bit too risky and we see that it's not ready in time we rather stick to the routine that I have so after lockdown and like towards the end of last year, beginning of this year, our coach like all sat us down individually and we had individual meetings with our coach where we worked on individual plans for all of us, where we basically working a routine A and a routine B and on each apparatus. So your routine A is your ideal, like ideal routine that you would like to compete with if you've added any upgrades. And then you're also training your routine B, you know, which is basically maybe a bit of a watered down version of that routine or the routine that you would have competed last year. So for me on beam and vault, I'm keeping it the same. Um, It's the same that I would have done last year. On floor, I'm adding one new tumble. Um, So I'm upgrading one of my tumbles of which it's like, it's not completely new. It's been something that's been in the pipeline for quite a while. We just, when we have like back-to-back competition seasons, it's kind of hard to get a chance where you can 
train a skill before putting it into a routine because that's what you have to do. You need time to kind of train it outside of routine before putting into a routine. And when you're training competitions back to back, it's hard to get that time because you're constantly trying to perfect your routine. You know, so now in this time where we had all this free time and our competition season was cancelled, you know, it was the perfect time to get as much in as you can, of which it's basically actually two new tumbles on floor, um, which you know, I'm working really hard to get in my routine as well as to a release combo on bar. So I've gotten two new releases in, which will make a huge difference because it'll take my difficulty score from, I think it's like a five, one to five, six, which is huge for me, you know, and it definitely makes me a lot more competitive and gets me up in the ranks. So I'm for me, the biggest part is getting my bar combo in. We've working really hard at that. And that's my biggest goal is to try and in this time. And I mean, it's tricky because yes, like I said, we can work as many as we can, but the biggest thing I need is experience with it. You know, so we're trying to get a lot of competitions and a lot of pressure sets done and testings and even in-home competitions where I can work and try and do that combo, you know, just to get experience with it. You need to, because you can, I can hit five in a row at training, but come a competition, I will fall, you know, because you're not used to that type of pressure. So we're working a lot now, trying to build a lot of pressure sets and doing a lot of that. But so, yeah, my two things is bar and floor that I'm trying to get more higher for the Olympic Games. Yeah, I'm, I wanted to ask you a little bit more specifically about that. I think that's fascinating. Um, in terms of when you're deciding you want to try to learn a new skill, how do you get the idea for which skill you might want to add? And how long do you do you train? Do you try it in training before you decide? Let, let, let's say you, there's two you might want to add before you decide. Oh, maybe this one's not going to work, but this one's looking good. So I'm going to continue putting more effort there, and I think it'll work out. Yeah, so the, I want to say the birth of a skill, it is very, it's an interesting process of how it works, you know, so the combination I added on bar, I actually started working last year, but it's not, so you, the way we choose it, because I mean, there's a lot to choose from, but you also need to choose around, you look at, for instance, you look at, I look at my bar routine, you know, and you need to see what you have and you, we can't completely change it. I can't completely rearrange my bar routine and add 20 new skills, you know, see the rhythm of my bar routine still needs to stay more or less the same. We still have to have those few skills at the beginning and those, these few skills at the end. And then we kind of need to see maybe what we can add, you know, in between just to, you know, lift it, but not completely change the rhythm. Cause I'm also used to that rhythm. I've been doing this like the rhythm of that routine since I was a junior gymnast. We've just as the years went by, you keep just adding things. So that's the first thing you need to look at is what will fit in your routine. And like, if you're going to do a release combo and it's going to make you end up facing this way, but I need to be facing this way, then you can't do it, you know, because it's not going to actually fit into your routine. So there was this one skill that I've, it's my absolute favorite skill, not only on bar, but it's in general in gymnastics. And I've been telling my coach for as long as I can remember, but we had to take, I added my routine for like one year, I think many years ago. And then we had to take it out because it wasn't fitting with the way my routine was working. And I always just like, 
every time we had upgrade teas and I'd always work it, but I could never put it in. And what we did at the end of, just after we came back from lockdown, I was working that skill, but I, we tried it into a new skill that I had to learn, which would then turn me around, which would make me basically, it was going to fit perfectly, of which actually worked really well. And I ended up getting it in like that first week. You know, you don't also just, with a combination, you don't just try a combination. You first make sure you have this skill. And then I first had to learn this skill by itself and then like build it from a bigger swing. And then you try and combine it on the not competition bar. So the bar above, we have two bars. We have a bar that's by our competition setup and then a bar that's above our like soft landing sponges setup. So that's where you learn it. You get it consistent there. Once it's consistent, you then make the transition of moving it over to your competition bar. Once it's consistent on the competition bar, then you start, what we do is you build backwards. So the first thing I would do is do that and add a skill onto it. So add the next skill that would come after it. And you do a million of those, you know, you do maybe like, I don't know, three, four a day, you know, and you just keep doing it. And some days are worse than others. Some days it works five in a row perfect. And the next day you will miss every single turn, you know, and that's how you kind of just start getting the rhythm. And then you build two skills from the from the back and then three skills from the back and just keep working like that until you've kind of worked it into your routine until it's become a half in your routine and you can do it and then it's become a three quarter in your routine and then a full routine you know so that's how it kind of works but also something interesting I think I'd like to mention was that actually the floor tumble that I was adding new they were it was a combination not a combination but it was a choice between two that we had to choose because I had two that were very good and I could both land but we had to think of it like really technically because I also have not the best ankles and they don't have the best history from where I come I've had quite a few ankle injuries we need to also take that into consideration and which one if goes wrong because there's always that possibility that you can land a bit short or your ankles can give in you know that which one will be worse when landing you know and then we had to like my coach so my coach is very close to one of the French national coaches and we've that's where we actually went to go train so then we she will ask her for advice and ask what does she think because she also has a bit more experience and then she will tell us what she thinks and it's a long decision process and for a while I was actually just training both of them you know and like seeing every day which one felt better and then actually last week I made the decision to go with the one but we don't completely leave the other you still on we have an upgrade day on which is basically like a Wednesday once a week and then you work it then so you're still maintaining it you're not completely leaving it and then it falls apart and then you never you have to relearn it when you do it again you just maintain it on the side but now obviously I've chosen the one well that's fascinating I think that is probably the most detailed I've ever heard any like, Olympian because I've, I've had a few others on the show and I always ask them about the, like how they learn skills and the way you broke it down calling it the birth of a skill and how you work it in that's that's so interesting to know because a lot of my listeners are you know, maybe they're not necessarily doing like elite level routines, but as adults, they have to learn what can their body do. So they have to go through a process of like weighing all these different factors of what types can I learn? But the way you described um, like 
knowing the rhythm of your routine because you've been doing it for years and working it in that way. I think that's just so interesting. One of the last things I wanted to ask you was, again, going back to the state of gymnastics in South Africa, it not being one of the more popular sports. What is, first of all, what does that mean exactly? Does is it hard for a gymnast to find somewhere to train? Like, because I, I, so I can imagine when you compete in the Olympics and so many young gymnasts or just young kids are going to see gymnastics for the first time from South Africa because of, of you. And they're going to be really excited. Is it, is it harder to find somewhere to train? Like for example, in the U S it's pretty popular. So in every city, every small city, you'll find a gym. Like what, what does that look like for gymnastics in South Africa? Yeah, so gymnastics, like I said, it is one of the smallest sporting codes in our country. So unlike maybe swimming or rugby, soccer, like athletics, which is a lot more known and there's a lot more, I want to say, in inverted commas, talent that has come out there. Not that there isn't in gymnastics, but gymnastics is not, I think, well enough known in South Africa. It's not because we not I think we haven't brought back such huge results it's not publicized a lot it's not as much funded you know it and in like that then a lot of people don't know about it and even the maybe the little people that do and the little girls that do join half of them fall out along the way because there's so little funding into gymnastics and like you said it's such an expensive sport that a lot of people can't afford it a lot of parents simply just can't afford it and halfway a lot of the talent I think falls out and it's only really when we get to the level that we at now so I'm a senior Olympic gymnast that you start to receive a lot more help from the federation and from like the department of sports then you start receiving more funding and a bit more sponsorships and but coming up along the way which is I believe it's the hardest part you know there's minimal help of which it's you and your club and your parents basically you know to try and get you to where you want to be and I think with that also there's not that many gymnastics clubs I mean if there is it's you know one or one or two you know three here and there but again people don't know about it because they don't know about gymnastics it's not out there it's not a sport that's commonly broadcasted on TV, you know, on our shows. It's, I mean, if people just don't know about it. So I think if it could be more, get more out into the public and people could simply, I think, just know more about it and it can be more publicized and there could be more funding in gymnastics to help people, you know, to get all these gymnasts that have so much potential to the very end, to the top, then it would all in all, just progress more in our country. Well, it sounds like your participation in the Olympics is is going to be like a big factor in in making it more popular in your country. And I think that's going to be amazing. How have you stayed motivated? Because I know from your journey, it sounds like you always had the Olympics in your sights, but without having seen a lot of the broadcast uh, coverage, maybe like in your country and without seeing it be so popular and your fellow athletes go competing in the Olympics every four years, how did you stay motivated and, and just see that that was where you wanted to be because 
it can feel a little less motivating when you don't have that example in front of you. So what has kept you going and motivated in your journey? That was one of the biggest things that for me, growing up in the sports and coming up, I did have this vision, you know, and like I knew that I wanted to go to the Olympic Games. But at that point, it always felt like coming up, it always felt like such a far-fetched dream, if I could say it like that, that because I, yeah, yeah, I was a young girl that had this dream, but none of the seniors, you know, of our time that were our senior Olympic gymnasts were ever there, you know, and we could never like have the opportunity. We could sit at home and watch a South African gymnast on TV. So in that sense, it all felt like this amazing dream, but a very far-fetched one, you know, it was like, I, I, I knew I wanted to go for it, but at the same time, I think it was, you know, I, I went with it, but like, ugh, it probably won't happen, you know, type of thing, just because, I mean, I, I'd never seen it and it was, but as, yes, for me, it was, it was always an end goal. It was always a long-term goal, but I always had short-term goals along the way. So it wasn't, because, yes, it was a far-fetched dream and I think hard to sometimes believe in, but it wasn't the only thing that was driving me. I'd always set small-term and short-term goals, you know, along the way, whether it was like national championships or my first international um, competition or, you know, winning my first junior national title or winning an African championship title. You know, it was just these small goals along the way that got bigger and bigger until it was going for the Commonwealth Games. And then I had basically, you know, half qualified for the Commonwealth Games and then didn't get sent because I was recovering from surgery. And in that, that moment, I think then seeing my, basically my teammates, you know, the goals that I trained with had went, you know, and you see that like it can be done, you know, and like, at that point, I remember like my coach telling me that, yes, I didn't go to the Commonwealth Games, but maybe the Olympics was my turn. You know, so that was in 2018. And I held onto that very tightly, you know, not, yes, I had this long-term goal, which suddenly was not so long-term anymore because all my life it was a long-term goal. Yes, I want to be at the Olympics one day. And suddenly it was a year and a half away. It was 18 months away. And we had sat down with my coach and we had written down this plan and how to get to the Olympic Games and what we had to do to qualify. And, you know, it suddenly all felt so real and so realistic that like this actually sounds like I can do it. You know, it, in my head, initially it was like, yes, it was this goal. And yes, I probably can do it, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. I want to be there. I just don't know how I'm going to get there. You know, but suddenly I'd known what I had to do to get there. And in that moment, that is all that kept me going was I knew that what exactly my plan was. I knew that, you know, I had to place well at the national champs and then go to my first Worlds, which was in 2018 in Doha, and then see my results. And the Doha, the way the Doha results worked basically was, you know, a replica of how the 2019 Worlds was going to work. And that was going to be the Olympic qualifier. And then we saw where I was standing and we saw that basically if I had done the 2018 competition in 2019, I would have qualified, you know, and then we worked with that and we saw what more improvements I had to do and what my next goals were and working, you know, you work very strategically and then, you know, if 
when things like, you know, an injury two months before the qualification happens that you, you still can work around it. You know, you, you know what you do, you know what to do, you know what your plan is and you know, you know how to get there. Well, I think your story is just so fascinating and inspiring. And I want to thank you for, for sharing it. And just want to say that I'm so looking forward to watching you at the Olympics. I can't wait to see it. So uh, congratulations on everything. And thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. It was really, it was nice. Thank you for having me. You can follow Kate on Instagram at Kate Rosecrantz and watch her on TV competing in Tokyo this summer. Thanks for listening to this episode of Better Late. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. If you have guest or episode suggestions, send an email to betterlatepod, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-L-A-T-E-P-O-D, at gmail.com.